Good morning, guys. Thank you, Hannah, Megan. How are you? Doing well. All right. I love how you uh, just called out like individuals and then they looked and then just turned around and like <laughs> went about their chatting. We are a chatty bunch. I reckon that's a good thing. Um, yeah, good morning. Glad you guys are here. I want to give you a quick update on the the student conference or the Every Nation Campus Conference that just took place uh, in Corvallis. So our sending church, Grace City in Corvallis, hosted uh, the Every Nation Campus Conference. Every Nation, if you don't know, some of you know this, but uh, Grace City here in Portland as well as Corvallis and Eugene for that matter, we're part of a larger family of churches called Every Nation. And um, Every Nation churches are like all over the world. And um, we... Part of what makes us an every nation church, it's not like a denomination in the traditional sense. Um, It really is more like a family of churches. We share um, a set of values and a mission that kind of makes us family. Um, And part of that mission is we we reach students, or at least we want to. Um, It's how I became a Christian when I was going to college, Cal State University, Long Beach, Southern California, my senior year, um, because of a campus outreach, just a group of young people, students, there was a leader there as well. They were putting on some sort of an event, very simple, but very intentional. Um, somehow I ended up there, and Jesus just came crashing into my life. It was, it was most unexpected and wonderful. Um, and that's how I met the Lord, because of campus ministry. So that's part of our vision as a church. In fact, when we started Grace City five years ago now, believe it or not, we, we started the church and a campus ministry simultaneously. So that's, that's always been a part of our, our vision as a church. Anyway, Friday and Saturday, Grace City and Corvallis hosted a campus conference. It was essentially a gathering of, of every nation, churches, and, and particularly students from all over, kind of like from Denver, Colorado, over to the West Coast, from Vancouver, BC, all the way down to San Diego. I think it was about 250 students. I think that's fair. 250 um, students there, like 40 different campuses, state universities, some private universities, some community colleges. And it was just a gathering of students. Um, and it was amazing. There was obviously speakers, awesome worship music. Um, I had the, off, the honor of getting to, to be one of the, the speakers there. And uh, it was absolutely fantastic. My favorite part of the conference. Uh, it wasn't the super great eloquent speakers. Um, one of the girls that was there, I said, who, who, what was your favorite part of the conference? And she said, well, I really love the speakers. Um, I only saw three of them, but I really loved... I really loved Heather and Seth, but not me. <laughs> I don't think she meant it that way, but I'm like, well, what about me? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I hear you every week. Um, no, I'm just playing. That wasn't my favorite part. My favorite part of the conference was um, they had some students jump up on stage. You could tell it was kind of like a, it wasn't super uh, contrived or there wasn't any, it wasn't a big like, hey, let's sort of parade these students. It was just very sweet, very raw. But they had some students um, like throughout the two days come up on stage and just share their story. Like, hey, this is, this is where I was at or this is where I've been. And Jesus has like really been moving and healing and saving me and doing incredible things. And it was just like unfiltered stories of how Jesus was actually moving in the lives of young people, college students. And it reminded me of exactly where I was 20 years ago. Yeah. And it reminded me of our vision as a church. Um, Sometimes it can feel like, oh man, small beginnings can feel like not a lot's happening. We don't have hundreds of students like lining up to, to come to our, our service or our thing. And, you know, after a while you begin to think like, are, are we, is it happening? Like, is the vision still alive? And you get together with a whole bunch of other students and churches who are all sharing this vision. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, it, it's happening. Like, God is doing it. Uh, the vision is alive. 
let's keep going. Let's keep dreaming together. Let's, let's be reminded, like, oh, yeah, this is what we're doing. Um, we, we have an opportunity to do something quite unique in terms of, like, reaching um, a particular group of young people um, at PSU, WSU, community college down the road, George Fox, etc., etc. The harvest is great. It was a fantastic conference. That's my point. It was great. It was um, something that, uh, yeah, if you weren't there, next year. I was actually talking with the, uh, one of the main leaders. And I've said this a couple times over the years, but I said, you know, if you ever want to do something in Portland, um, we're not big, but we love to serve, and we could, we could possibly host something. I mean, we do have, like, the coolest church building on the West Coast, in my opinion. <laughs> Um, so who knows, maybe one of these years we can, we can host something and, and have, have people from all over the West Coast join us here. It'd be super cool. All right. Now I'm going to introduce our guest speaker for the morning. Uh, Heather Heck actually opened the conference on Friday and just knocked it out of the park. Um, yeah, an absolutely gifted preacher of God's word, and um, from what I can tell, a pretty dang cool person. I've only just met Heather. I've seen her from afar and on different occasions and thought, man, that girl's legit. Um, and I thought, well, shoot, if she's going to be in our neighborhood for this conference, I'm going I'm to snatch her up. So she is here with us this morning. Can you guys help me welcome Heather Heck? Well, hello. How y'all doing? So where I'm from, we say y'all. How y'all doing? Can y'all follow me? Are you tracking? Listen, I'm excited to be here, but I have to start off by saying this. Possibly the most intimidating, most terrifying thing uh, that can happen to you is when your senior pastor speaks at the same student conference that I was at, and it was incredible. It was absolutely amazing. Knocks the ball out of the park, and he is sharing the same text that I'm going to share with you today. So no pressure, because now he's here, and I'm like, oh, his, his message was amazing, and I don't know what I'm doing. But I think, here's the thing, I think that's a good place to be. I have done campus ministry for 10 years. I'm a single mom and a college campus minister, which is exactly like it sounds. That means I'm absolutely crazy. <laughs> I've often wondered, how did this happen? I still don't know. <laughs> this was not my plan. Uh, and my son and I, my son's name is Jonah. He's going to be 15 next month. So y'all pray for me. If you know me, then you would know to probably pray for him. <laughs> because I am the crazy one. But the truth is, over the last 10 years, we've been on quite a faith journey. And at any point in time, we never really knew what was next. And at every point along the way, I felt so ill-equipped and unqualified to do anything for the kingdom. And I want you guys to hear that. We started off in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm not originally from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm from a little town called Big Sandy, Tennessee that has 500 people in it. There's irony in that. Big Sandy, 500 people in my hometown. Started there. From there, I went to college at Tennessee State University, which is an historically black university. I don't know if y'all caught the fact that I'm not black, so there's irony there. But while I was in college, I spent... Really, my entire college career, the degree I really got was a degree in running from God. That was my goal. I graduated with honors. <laughs> but by God's grace, he pursued me, he rescued me, and when he captured my heart, he began to do something. He began to break my heart for people, specifically for the college campus. And only God can take a middle-aged, single mom, white woman to go back to her alma mater, which is an historically black college, and say, I want you to serve here for six years. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't look the part. I still don't look the part. 
When you look at college campus ministers, my face is never going to come up on that scroll. I don't fit. From there, we left Tennessee State University. After six years, we went to Honolulu, Hawaii. Again, I was the white spot in a lot of sea of people that don't look like me. I still didn't fit. We were able to serve there in Honolulu for three years. And just recently, about eight months ago, we sold everything that we owned again and moved to Denver, Colorado to work with a church plant. And I will say it's probably the hardest assignment yet. But at no point in time did I feel like I was good enough or I was qualified enough. I, don't, I didn't go to seminary. I've read the Bible a little bit. So I hope y'all are encouraged by that. But I just never felt like I was the one that was going to be able to do this. And I want y'all to hear that today because the title of my message today is Grow As You Go. If there was a bio for me, that's what it would say. She grew as she went. Not that I was ever ready. The text that we're going to read from is going to be found in John chapter 15. And it says this. It says, I am the true vine. This is verse 1. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you that you are here today, that you are moving and breathing life on every dead, dry place. Father, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive what it is you're saying. Father, would your kingdom come and your will be done in us and through us. Father, would you somehow Use someone like me, someone who's deeply flawed, to lift up and point to the one who is greater, King Jesus. Amen. Remain in me. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples as they were leaving the upper room and heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. In less than 24 hours from that moment, Jesus was going to be crucified. At this point, Jesus had spent years with these men. These ordinary men, he'd been walking with them, he'd befriended them, he was growing with them, he was teaching them. They had seen countless signs and wonders and miracles, but this was not an ordinary night. The disciples had to sense that something significant was gonna, was gonna happen. They had just finished the Lord's Supper where Jesus pointed to his body being broken and his blood being shed. There was this beautiful, incredibly intimate moment where the Savior of the world got down on his knees and washed their feet. There had even been a moment where he had predicted his betrayal. And of all the things that he could say in his final hours, this was what was most important. Remain. We've been in a series, uh, I don't know if y'all are in it here, abide. What does it mean to abide, to remain, to be connected to Jesus's life? I don't know if you've ever sat next to someone on their deathbed. My grandmother raised me. I was raised by a single mom. My grandmother and I were very close. And two years ago, I had the honor and the privilege to be in the room with her, holding her hand, singing hymns over her. And those moments were so beautiful. They were so significant. I held on to every moment, every word she said, I hung on to every word. These were some of Jesus's last words. That means they are so important. Of all the things he could have chose to teach them in this moment or say, he said, the most important thing that you're going to need to know is remain. Remain in me. See, Jesus knew that the disciples were about to experience one of the most difficult moments that they ever would. The thing that they would need more than anything else was this, remain. If you haven't realized that yet, life is not easy. It's going to get hard. You know, following Jesus doesn't make us exempt. 
Being a minister doesn't make us exempt. We've seen this over the last two and a half years. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. All of it, with all the hardships, the disappointments, the unemployment rate, the political tension, the racial tension, the division, the isolation, the loneliness. We're going to need something on the inside of us that it's not determined by our outward circumstances. And where you draw your life from matters. Where you find your hope, your joy, and your significance from matters. Will you remain? Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, to Jesus' audience, this was not a new concept. Everyone knew historically what the vine had represented. Every good Jew knew that the vine had been Israel. It was the nation. It was the land. It was the people. It was their sense of hope and strength. Their pride for their nation had become their entire identity. And in this one statement, Jesus has flipped it all on its head. It's as if he's saying that thing that you're putting your hope in will fail you. I want to give you something greater. I want to give you something that can never be shaken. Remain in me. In essence, he's saying, now I am your homeland. I am the true vine. Live in me and I will live in you. Abide. Once we begin to abide in him, connected to his life, then we begin to have vision. We begin to understand that in him we are called. You are called to a fruitful life. When you're connected to life, it's going to produce life. And here's the thing, no matter who you are on the planet, every person on the planet has the same deep longing, the deep desire on the inside of them. We all want our lives to matter. When we get to the end of our lives, we want to know that it meant something. The reason you feel that way is because God has put that there himself. Because you were not created to just exist or to get by. You were made for more. You were made for him. You were made to thrive in him, to flourish in him. You were called to a fruitful life. Everything that Jesus has done was for one purpose, fruit. You see, he wants to produce something in you and he wants to produce something through you. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's handiwork. You're his masterpiece. You were created in Christ Jesus, alive in Christ Jesus, new in Christ Jesus for good works, fruit, which he prepared in advance for us to do. There's more to the Christian life than sitting in this pew. There's more to the Christian life than even going to Bible study, going through the motions. You were created in Christ Jesus on purpose, for purpose. Jesus died so that your life would flourish, that you would experience an abundant life in him. See, when you're connected to life, it produces life. And whether you know it or not, your life will produce something. It, de it depends on what you're connected to. I've told this story everywhere I went. So if you were in the conference, you've heard this. If you were in any of the conferences, I've been outing myself everywhere I go. About four weeks ago, I finally took down my Christmas tree. I am one of those people. I like it. It's pretty. <laughs> the lights are nice. Honestly, I'm just lazy and I don't want to have to take it down. <laughs> This year, we had an artificial tree, but several years ago, my son and I were living in Honolulu, Hawaii. My pastor there found out that I've never actually had a real tree. Now, I was in Corvallis all weekend. It's like the land of trees. That's all that's out there. But my pastor thought it was ridiculous that I'd never had an actual real tree. So him and his wife purchased us a real tree. They brought it to our house, and it was beautiful. It was incredible. I felt like I had been missing out my entire life with these fake artificial trees. I mean, it was so nice. Jonah, my son, and I decorated it. We put all the lights on it, all the ornaments on it. It was beautiful. The branches were really green. And our entire house began to smell like fresh pine. So great. But here's the thing about living in Honolulu, Hawaii. It's really hot there. And I'm not talking like regular heat. I'm talking about tropical, wet, I got to take three showers a day kind of humidity heat. And I noticed that as the weeks went by, and I didn't go as long this time as I did this last time, something happened to that tree. Like 
as the humidity set in, the tree began to change. Because here's the thing about living in Honolulu, Hawaii. It sounds like paradise, but no one in Honolulu has an air condition. We have box fans and windows. Yeah, suffering for Jesus on an island. The heat and the humidity begin to sit in. The tree begin to change. All of a sudden, the branches were no longer as green as they used to be. In fact, they started kind of hanging and drooping. They turned this really ugly brown. Ornaments even begin to fall off the tree. And all of a sudden, there it was. It was like this funky, do y'all know what that means? This smell of funk begin to permeate throughout my entire house. Why? Because it had been cut off from the source of life. The strength of your life and what it produces is going to be determined by what it's connected to. You can fake it for a while. You can dress up your life. You can play the part. You can make it sparkle and it'll look real good till the heat comes. The heat will always test what your life is connected to. And all of those pretty things that are hanging off your life will start hanging and drooping. They will fall off one by one because fruit without root can't remain. We must learn to abide, to stay rooted and connected to the source of life. When we do that, our lives flourish and thrive. The exciting thing for me is this. At no point in time did I know what was going to happen on my journey. But as you abide in Jesus, it only gets sweeter. It only gets greater. There's always more of him available. I don't care if you just met Jesus yesterday or if you've been walking with him for 50 years, he wants to take you deeper. There's more of him available. He wants to take us from faith to faith, from glory to glory. The question is, how deep do you want to go? Oh, how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God. The depths of this, you've barely scratched the surface. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with where I've been. I want more. I want everything that Jesus has made available to me. I'm not satisfied with fruit that was produced last year or five years ago or 10 years ago. I believe that God wants to do a new thing. Do you not now perceive it? He's still the God that's making a way. Jesus wants to produce something something greater in you and through you. He's called you to bear fruit. He's called you to a fruitful life. And because we're called, it also means that we're cut. We're cut to be transformed. Now I know that this is the part that no one likes because cutting is painful. But without pruning, a tree is going to grow wild branches stretching out in every direction with actually no real direction and it will be unable to produce anything of value. Look, that would be my life. Without pruning, I would go wild, y'all. Like wild. But see, a tree has to be cut so it's transformed. And pruning shapes and crafts the tree into something beautiful. It actually frees the branches so that it can produce more fruit. Pruning is not what saves us, it's what shapes us. Fruit is not something that we obtain by striving, it's produced by abiding. The text tells us you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Don't get this twisted. We are saved by grace and grace alone. We can't earn it, we don't deserve it. Jesus does the work. Jesus meets us where we are. We don't clean ourselves up to get to him. He meets us where we are and as we are. The cross was enough. Jesus meets us there in our mess, but he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to do more. As we abide in him, God cuts us to transform us. Now, I told you all I'm from a small town in West Tennessee, Big Sandy. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a tiny Southern Baptist church that had about 30 members. I know y'all know nothing about that, but I'm in the kind of town where everybody's in your business, you know everybody. And as a kid, I was a good Christian girl. But I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to be in a box. I wanna be free. And so when I got to college, I thought this is my opportunity. 
I'm going to be free. I had no more covering. And so I began little by little to make choices to run from God. Before I knew it, I was further away than I ever thought I would be doing things I never thought I would do. And I lived in darkness. Here's what that life produced, because your life will produce something. By the time I was 21 years old, I was a crack addict. 27 years old, I became a single mom. By the time I was 28 years old, I was in a drinking and driving accident that killed an elderly couple. You can't imagine what it's like to live under the weight of that kind of guilt and shame. Before the age of 30, I was in prison. I had wasted half of my life in the pursuit of things that could not give me life and the fruit that was produced was guilt, shame, devastation, and destruction. I had somehow believed the lie that it was hopeless, that nothing would ever change. But one day I had an encounter with Jesus that changed the entire course of my life. I did not clean myself up to get to him. He met me where I was. Jesus did what I was unable to do. He reached down into that darkness to rescue me. He brought me out of death and into life. The cross and the cross alone was enough to save me. I remember that moment. I remember coming down to an altar so broken, I looked every bit like where I had came from. I was a mess. And I remember praying a prayer, just so grateful that God would even want me that he could save me because I sure couldn't save myself. But I'm gonna tell you honestly, I thought that was the best I could hope for. I was just happy that he was able to rescue me and save me. I had no hope for the future. I didn't believe at all that he could do anything with this mess. In fact, I knew that I deserved every bit of what was coming to me. I felt like, a, like an orphan that just needed scraps that fell from the table. I was just happy to be in the room. But then God began to cut. He didn't leave me there. He began to cut and he began to prune because he wasn't done. So he cut off addiction. He cut off wrong relationships. He cut off guilt. He cut off shame. He cut off the things that would steal my affection. He cut off wild branches, dead branches. See, he wanted to produce something in me and through me because Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Why? It's all about fruit. Guess what? He's still cutting. Even in ministry, he's still cutting because there's more of him available. We're called to a fruitful life. We're cut to be transformed so that our lives will be more fruitful. Are you sensing a theme here? It's all about fruit. Now, I know this process is painful. And I know that some people in the room have experienced deep pain, deep hurts. There's deep trauma. God cuts, but you should understand the world cuts also. No one is exempt. The knife is going to come into everyone's life. What you're connected to matters. The knife will either cut us back to become more fruitful or it will cut us off. I can honestly say this, I am thankful for the knife. I'm thankful for the knife because it was those seasons of deep pain and despair. Those were the seasons that I grew the most. When I was in prison, one of the darkest places imaginable, I was incarcerated with people who made headlines because of the nature of my crime. I was separated from my one-year-old child. God was cutting those seasons of lack, was a single mom. I lived off welfare for probably the first four or five years. But God was cutting. Even in ministry, I worked on a college campus in the middle of one of the worst neighborhoods in Nashville. And one semester alone, we had seven shootings. We had five students shot and killed on our college campus. God was cutting through ministry transitions where I have to sell everything that I own and go across an ocean and then do it all again as a mom and come back. God was cutting. I'm thankful for the knife because those were the very things that made me desperate for God. Those were the very things that drew me to my knees. Those were the very things that had me cling to him and trust him in the midst of the uncertainty and the chaos. See, he cuts back branches that produce fruit to make them more fruitful. See, he cuts 
cuts me back so that there's less of me and more of him. And I want that. When people look at my life, I want them to see less of me and more of him. We're cut to be transformed and then we begin to grow. And guess what we grow in? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the spirit. See, God is transforming us from the inside out. God is less concerned about what you do. He's more concerned about who you're becoming. He doesn't just want your outward behavior and your performance. He wants your entire life. He wants your heart. Most of us have it twisted. We want to come to Jesus and we want this nice little pocket-sized God that we can put in our pocket and we can pull out whenever we need something or whenever it's comfortable or convenient. To be honest, our whole lives just revolve around us. It's all about our dreams, our vision, our plan, our wants, our desires. But when God shows up, he's wrecking your plans because what he has for you is so much greater than the things that you're holding on to. He cuts to transform us because he wants to produce something in us and through us because we're called to bear fruit. We're called to flourish and thrive in him. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house and God comes in to make some repairs. At first, he starts with the things that you would expect him to fix, like your leaky roof, your squeaky floorboard, But then something begins to happen. God begins to do something else. He begins to knock the house around a little bit. (laughs) He's tearing down walls. I saw downstairs in y'all's basement. He's tearing down walls. He's adding on additional wings and floors. And it's uncomfortable and it's painful because this wasn't a part of the plan. This is not a part of the blueprint, God. But see, he's building a different house than the one that you thought of. You thought he was going to come in and make you this cute little cookie cutter house, but he's building you into something greater. He's building you into a palace because he intends to come and live inside of it himself. You just wanted God to show up and fix your problems. But God is saying, no, I want it all. And if you give it all to me, I will build your life. I will build your life into something great, something that you can't fathom, something that you can't even imagine. So he cuts away the things that are hindering you because what he has for you is greater. The question is, will you let him? Will you submit to the process? Will you trust him? Will you be real bold and brave and say, God, cut away anything that you don't want there? He wants to transform you. We're called to a fruitful life. We're cut to be transformed. And lastly, we're compelled to go. We're compelled to go to give this fruit away. See, the father is the gardener. His hands are in it, always in it, tending and caring and cutting and pruning. Jesus is the vine. He gives us life, the sustainer. He's holding it all together. We are the branches. Guess what the branches do? They do absolutely nothing. All they do is remain and rest in the vine. They abide and by some miracle, fruit is produced. Guess who the fruit is for? The fruit's for the world. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Fruit is not for us, it's for them. Our lives point to him. We're called to a fruitful life. We're cut to bear more fruit, fruit that we give away. Jesus did all the work by doing what we could not do. The cross hasn't lost its power. The cross has the power to save you. It has the power to sustain you and it has the power to launch you into your destiny. But here's the thing, your destiny is not just about you. It's about the world out there. We're called and compelled to go and give this fruit away. Now, when I first gave my life to Jesus while I was waiting for trial, I was facing 25 years in prison, but God was doing something. And I had the privilege, I worked in the restaurant industry for most of my life, and I had the privilege of working in a restaurant where my general manager was another believer. He was like a father to me. I'm so thankful for that job. And I'll never forget, his name was Anthony. I'll never forget the day that I went to Anthony, and I was like, Anthony, I think I'm dying. (laughs) 
because I'm nothing if I'm not dramatic. And he says, what are you talking about? And I began to describe to him some things that were happening. All of a sudden, I was looking at people differently. Everywhere I went, my heart felt like it was being ripped outside of my chest. Every stranger that I crossed on the street, my only thought was, do they know that there's hope in Jesus? Do they know that there's life in Jesus? It was consuming me. It was keeping me up at night. It would wake me up early in the morning. And the only, I went to Anthony, I'm telling him all this. And I said, it can only mean one thing, I'm going to die. And he looks at me and he said, Heather, you're not going to die. You were dead. And now Jesus has brought you back to life. I can feel again. And as I abide in him and as we abide in him, he begins to transform us and give us his heart for his people. He compels us to go to give this fruit away to a world that is dead. We're called and we're cut for one purpose, fruit, fruit that we're meant to give away. And here's the thing I want you guys to understand. Most of you will never grow until you go. Some of you get stuck. You're capped. You sit in Bible study week after week. You come to church Sunday after Sunday. You become spiritually fat while there's a world out there that's starving. You can get so accustomed to an atmosphere like this that you're just asleep in the light and the world is in darkness. You're waiting for something. You're praying for something. You're waiting for some kind of breakthrough to happen, some kind of miracle to happen. The truth is the real breakthrough that you're waiting for is not going to be found in here. It's out there. You grow as you go. Let me say this. I know there's a lie that says that somehow I have to have it all together. I got to know enough. I got to have some scriptures memorized. The truth is you're never going to know enough and have it all together. I certainly don't. God is compelling you to go now. He wants to use you where you are, as you are. He wants to use what's in your hands, what you have, even though it doesn't seem like much. He's compelling you to go give this fruit away. You know, as we were driving through this city, I could feel the heaviness on it. And I know where that's coming from. It's coming from a, a city of people that are hopeless. And God is calling you to go. Where do you go? You don't have to go on a mission trip. God's got you here in this city for a reason. You are on a mission trip. He wants to send you at your jobs. He wants to send you at your daycare. He wants to send you in line at Starbucks. He wants to send you on your campus. He's compelling you to go and give this fruit away. When I first started sharing Jesus, my life was still a mess. Where I'm from, we call it a hot mess. Y'all heard of that? It was a whole hot mess. That's how we say it. There were things in my life that didn't line up. Can I just be real transparent with y'all? Don't email my pastor. I was still smoking two packs of Newports a day. I cussed like a sailor. I was super rough around the edges. I mean, I was, it was a mess. On the outside, it didn't look like anything was happening. But Jesus had done something. He had rescued me out of darkness. He was stirring something on the inside of me. And I could no longer keep it to myself. And here's what happened. As I stepped out on faith to go, I began to grow. Fruit was produced. And here's the thing about fruit. It's compelling. It's attractive. It's compelling. People want it. People are searching for it in this city. And the most amazing thing is that the promise is that as you abide in him, he will abide in you. That means that there's a supernatural power on the inside of you. That means that you're not going in your own strength. That means that you're not going in your own wisdom. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter what credentials that you have or what personality that you have. See, there's power on the inside of you and Jesus wants to send you. He's compelling you to go and give this fruit away. I want you guys to hear this. It doesn't matter who you are. 
It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. Fruitful lives begin with dirt. Dirt is not filth and soul does not mean sold when God's hands are in it. He can make something beautiful out of it. Even rotten fruit can be used. Nothing's wasted. See, God does a unique thing with rotten fruit. He puts it back into the soil, into the ground, and there in the ground, he uses it to fertilize the soil for a future harvest. God took the very things that should have ended my life, and he's used them for his glory. So I don't care how ugly your past is. I don't care how unqualified you may feel. I don't care how dead your situation looks. If Jesus can raise my life, he can raise yours. If he can use me, then he can use you. It's not over yet. You are not disqualified. You're here for a reason. God wants to use you to reach this city. The vision that your pastor has is not the vision that him and his wife are gonna go out and do the work themselves. The, pray, the prayers that he prays at night, I guarantee I know what they are. God, would you motivate the people? Would you stir their hearts? Would you give them your heart for this city? God, would they have vision that you want to use them? Those are the prayers you pray, I know, because God is calling you to go and give this fruit away. You're the answer that this city needs. Here's the thing. I've been to a lot of places and I've done a lot of things. Pastor Simon and I were talking about this the other day. When I was young, I thought, I do not want to serve Jesus. It sounds so boring. I like excitement. I like adventure. Little did I know, the greatest adventure of it all would be following Jesus, submitting myself to his kingdom, the adventure that he has taken me on, the excitement. I've done a lot of things. Believe me, I've done them all. Nothing compares to this. You can give your life to a lot of things. You can give your life to good things, but you know what? It'll never be enough because you were made for more. You were made for him. You were made for mission. The God that spoke all of life into existence is calling you by name with all of your faults and all of your failures, your weird personalities. I love y'all, I'm just saying. <laughs> he uses us. You were designed the way you are for a purpose to reach people that I will never be able to reach. He wants to use you now. This is the life that we're all called to. What are we talking about? This is the life of a disciple. I want to... As I'm landing a plane, I promise I'm ending. I want to read John 15, 16. It said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now I've heard people take that out of context. Whatever I ask... I want a big house, I want a boat, I want to, no, 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 no. You didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you that you might bear fruit, fruit that would last. And so how do we do it? Father, help me. Help me go out here and give this fruit away. Those are the prayers he's gonna answer. He's going to show up, and it will produce fruit that will remain. I believe that today God is inviting you into more, into his kingdom, into his mission, into his adventure, into an abundant life, a fruitful life, fruit that will remain. He wants to build your life into one that has meaning, that has impact, that has influence. Life's a point to Jesus. Don't settle for less. Don't waste your life. You know, we spent the earlier part of the year in prayer and fasting. And we went through the fasting guide. It was all on abide. And I, I would like to say that I had this glorious moment with God, and maybe this isn't going to sound really significant to y'all, but it was really significant to me. The question that God asked me is this, Heather, what will remain? And it doesn't feel like a heavy question, but boy, I've wrestled with that question. What will remain? And it's become the lens that I, I look at everything about my life through. What's really going to remain? 
It's not going to matter how many conferences I preach at. I guarantee that. Because 100 years from now, nobody's even going to remember my name. It's not going to remember, it's not going to matter how much success you have, what degrees you got, how much money you made. Those things won't remain. It all fades. Our lives are just vapors. First Peter 1.24 says, all people are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. His word remains. The king and the kingdom will stand forever. That's what we are being invited into. We're being invited into something greater, something that can't be shaken, something that will last forever and ever. God has chosen you and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit to give away. You were made for more. You're called to a fruitful life. You're cut to be transformed. And really what I believe God is asking you today is will you commit to go? I'd like for the worship team to come back. And I'm going to ask you the question that God has been laying really heavy on me. What will remain? When you get to the end of your life, when you stand before your Father in heaven, what's going to matter? The only thing that lasts, the only thing that remains is his word, the king, the kingdom. He wants to do something greater in you. You were made for more. And hear this, that doesn't mean I want y'all to go quit your jobs and all become full-time ministers. The world will never get reached that way. I want you to allow God to use you where you are. As you are. To be a light in this city. To give hope away. To give love away, joy away this truth of the cross away. It's the most exciting adventure of them all. When we stand before our Father in heaven and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. The thing that strikes me about that is, I don't want a crown. I don't want a stage. I don't want a microphone. He's the reward. I look forward to that day that I get to lay that crown at his feet because it was for him. It was always for him. He rescued this broken woman with no purpose, no hope. By his grace, he would choose to use someone like me? Who am I? I'm a daughter of the king. I used to think that all I deserved was the scraps that fell from the table. Then I got a revelation that says, daughter, everything that I have is yours. There's a seat for you at the table. There's nothing greater than being invited into this. So I want to pray for you, if you wouldn't mind standing. Father, I pray right now for every person in this room. It's not an accident or coincidence that they're here. It's not an accident that they're in this city that they have the jobs that they have, that they go to the campuses that they go to. They've been strategically put there by you. Father, would you forgive us for our eyes just being so focused on ourselves and our own problems that we've somehow missed the city that is broken and hurting 
the people all around us? Would you give us your eyes and your heart for your people, for your city? Would you teach us how to abide in you, remain in you and your word, the thing that can't be shaken, the thing that can't be taken away? God, as we abide, would you help us, give us the power to go, not to go in our own strength, but with your power working on the inside of us, the supernatural power that breaks down every wall, that destroys every bit of fear, would you make us bold? Would you make us brave? If you agree with that prayer today, can you raise your hands? Father, I thank you for every hand that's raised in this room. God, that you've called them, that you've chose them, you've appointed them to go. Father, I pray for testimonies that are gonna come out of this moment. God, I pray for crazy faith to step out across the aisle to someone that doesn't look like us or believe like us. God, would you give us compassion for the city? Would you give us boldness, God? Thank you that we don't have to have wise or persuasive words, but rather a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that men's faith won't have to rest on us, but they would rest on you. King Jesus, it's all for you. God, I pray that even now, this wouldn't just be a moment, that this would create a movement, that this church would grow, that this city would be changed, and that the hands that are raised are the ones you're calling to use. We confirm it now in Jesus' name. take a moment I'm going to worship I'm going to sing <clears throat> what, um, what we've just experienced this morning is an incredible example of God telling his story of faithfulness in a person's life it's quite a story a story and every single one of us um, has a story God wants to tell his story of his faithfulness in our lives as we sing this song if you want to um, just listen while our, our worship team leads us and just think about this question Lord what is what is the story that you want to tell of your faithfulness in my life does it look like what what unexpected twist are you inviting me into today this season of my life you might hear God's voice you might sense something an impression a deep conviction listen listen to our father as we sing